Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. Your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino, and today I have with me a great human being, one of our newer instructors at the company, teaching firearms training, the man, the myth, the legend, the operator, Rich Bruno. Thanks for being here, Rich. Uh, thanks for having me. So today we're going to talk about, well, we haven't done anything we're going to talk about, but I think we could start off with uh, maybe a little bit of Rich's bio, the 60 to 90 seconds to explain who he is and what he's doing. So I have uh, 14 years full-time law enforcement, uh, seven as a firearms instructor. Uh, currently, I am the senior firearms instructor for my agency. So I'm in charge of all firearms training, use of force training, things like that in my agency. So that's been uh, the last seven years. I also teach taser and OC and defensive tactics and baton and all that, all that fun stuff. Uh, I also did eight years with the county SWAT team. So I was uh, a team leader with the team for a couple of years. Got promoted to the uh, to the entry team for a couple of years. Separated recently, but was a CQB instructor, active shooter instructor. You know the firearms instructor for the team as well. So got got to do a lot in the last eight years. It's uh, it's been good. Now, before you joined us, there were things you were doing with firearms training, right? So you created a program. Yeah, tell me about that. So I started a business last year. Uh, teaching firearms to law enforcement civilians. Uh, some of the biggest stuff is with law enforcement officers were uh, people that were having issues with their firearms qualifications. So I've actually been doing it for a long time, but I made it official last year and started a business and an LLC and making making a couple bucks doing it. And then doing law enforcement classes last year with that company and then civilians. I mean, I, I'm doing private training four or five days a week now with that company still. That's so. great, dude. And it's cops, it's civilians, it's everybody. It's first-time gun owners. It's people trying out for SWAT teams and ESUs and things like that. So it's, cool. it's a little bit of everything. What drew you to create a class like that? Like, I think I know the answer to it, but I'm going to so, ask you. The, the answer is simple. Um, my honest opinion, and it's not everyone, so I don't, want, I don't want to offend everybody, but law enforcement firearms programs are, are terrible. Not all of them. Most of them are terrible, and that's that's across the board. And I don't I, and I don't want to say it's because of money or time or things like that. I think that's part of it. I think administrations do hold uh, firearms units back. Obviously, some departments are different. The agency you came from has a big training unit. They have their own range. Those those guys put out a, a good program. That that's one of the agencies that has a really really good program. Other ones don't. They shoot twice a year. There's guys that I've been in contact with over the years that take their gun out of their holster twice a year. There was one officer in particular that couldn't get his firearm out of his holster one day. His rusted shot? He did not <laughs> use the holster. He didn't know how to use the holster. The holster w was gummed up with dirt and things like that, wow. and dust. And it, it, it just, things like that, I, I started to see it more and more. I started to help uh, as an assistant teaching courses and seeing how deficient police officers were at the five yard line that they couldn't hit, you know, basic shots with no stress, no nothing at, at five yards. Then starting to see qualification scores at 48s and 49s out of 60 and people are happy with it. And it just, it just wasn't acceptable to me. Uh, for me, I've spent so much time and money over the years to put myself at a different level in firearms because the one thing I could think of is, hey, carrying a gun at work or off duty, it's to protect other people. 
yeah, it's also a part to protect myself and, and my teammates and, and the guys I work with. But dude, I take it serious where it's, we're protecting other people, mm-hmm. civilians, innocent people. And if I take that gun out, I need to know exactly how the gun operates, every single thing about it. That if I have to take that that shot one day, God forbid, you know, I haven't been involved in an officer-involved shooting, thankfully, but I'm confident enough to where if I had to, uh, because of my training, because of, of how much time I put into it, how much effort. The people that, that shoot twice a year, you know, I see it in the courses all the time. Uh, it, it just, it boggles my mind how people could just walk around carrying a gun shooting twice a year uh, to the point of they, they can't even hit the target at five yards. I mean, it's, it's, it's scary. It's not everybody, of course, by, by all means, but it's the overwhelming majority and it's scary. I've said this plenty of times and people really are going to have to understand they got to take some responsibility for, and I think it's part of the dynamic of going to law enforcement that you cannot sit and wait for your agency to pick you to go do something. You're going to have to take some initiative. And I want to follow this up by saying there are guys like me who are very much into proactive work. I obviously teach a class called Proactive Patrol. I'm very much into case law because of what case law does for everybody legally. So there's a really uh, instillment of confidence. But I am guilty, and I now advise against this. I am guilty of somebody who was not signing up for tactical shooting classes. I went to three police academies, and that's not an excuse, but I was just sick of being told what to do and being a fucking recruit. But now I tell people, like, look, if you love interdiction and you love going out and catching bad guys and the pursuits and all that, that's great. At least sprinkle in some tactical shooting training, some mixed martial arts training, because the best cop, I don't care who you are, is the most well-rounded cop. Even your best interdiction guys and girls who are out there hitting the highways, hitting the pavement, going out, stopping interdicting crime, you still got to know a lot of things about using a gun, especially those people, and how to fight. So that's important stuff there. And there is some real liabilities to failing to train, but let's talk about some of those things with, with, with firearms. What are some consequences if you don't train with a firearms? Like, let's talk about it from, from the monetary to the life. Well, there's only one that, that matters to me, is innocent life. Mm-hmm. If you pull the trigger and the bullet doesn't go where you want it to go and it hits an innocent person, mission fail. I don't, I, I don't care what anyone says, it's a mission failure. If you shoot a person that you don't intend to shoot, mission failure. Mm. I couldn't live with myself. Now, are there circumstances that you look at the one in the mall in, in California last year, the year before, whatever that yeah, was. That was this year, yeah. Um, hey, like, the, I don't know that that's, that's avoidable. You know, the bullets went through the person, in through a wall and hit another person. It, it's a tragedy. Um, they didn't shoot an innocent person, right? They didn't have to take that high percentage hostage rescue shot and missed. Mm. Right. Happened in Woodbridge Mall. How many years ago? Guy takes a woman hostage at knife point. The Woodbridge cop. Takes- I was, it was my shift. Did you know that? No, I did a no. switch for that shift. Yeah. Here's what, I'll tell you that story. You finish it. I'll tell you what happened in the story. The way I understand it was he takes a high percentage shot, a headshot, no less on a moving target at about roughly 12 yards from how I understand it. And he, he was 100% accountable with that round. He put the round exactly where he intended it to go. Now, let's just say he's not a person that trains. I don't know. I don't even know who the officer was. I'll tell you who it was. Maybe maybe he trains. Maybe he doesn't. If he doesn't train, maybe he doesn't take the shot. Maybe that that person takes that person hostage and then kills her. But that guy, I don't even know. But I'll tell you, he made a predetermined decision in his head that that innocent person's life was worth way more than the the hostage taker. Mm -hmm. He knew what he had to do. He knew what his skill set was. 
He evaluated the target at that distance. He knew exactly what he had to do, and he did it with 100% accountability. Performance on demand. He performed exactly when it needed to be. Mission success. Mm-hmm. Then he got sued after, right? But Well, I think she withdrew who lost suit. Oh, then. Okay. Right, I'll tell you some funny stuff around this. So first of all, a uh, guy went to the academy with Eddie. I called him. I said, hey, I got to work the mall on Thursday, but I got I got to work a, another job early in the morning. I got an overnight gig. I see you at the mall on Friday. I'll take you Thursday if you uh, you know if you want to switch because I'll do the switch. So I worked, I think it was overnight or into the morning. I was exhausted, and I, I went home and I went to sleep. Now my father, who knew that I was working at the mall on this Thursday because I must had dinner with him the day before. I wake up to like seventy missed phone calls, and I'm like, oh my god, somebody's dead in my family. Right, that's what I thought. So I call my father. I go, what's wrong? He goes, where are you at? And I go, what do you mean where am I? I'm at home. He goes, what do you mean? Wait, who's working at the mall? I go, uh, Eddie's working at the mall. He goes, Eddie just killed somebody. So I go, no fucking way. So I turn on News Channel 12, and there it is. So then, you know, here's what the details were. It was a shoplifter at Hollister. There was a struggle. Man escaped, took a hostage. They went from Hollister in the mall down into Sears, and he took one shot. The guy turned his head. He put him right behind his ear. I've seen the pictures. The family of that guy did not want to do anything. They had no interest in anything. They... He had an extensive criminal history. I think he'd just been out of prison for about a year. This guy was a horrible human being. Um, the woman who he rescued, what happened was the husband came over, grabbed her, yanked her away, and that's when he took the shot. He had him lined up. And when he yanked me, so that opportunity, that's when he squeezed, hit, just fired one time. He had one shot. It wasn't multiple, multiple rounds, one shot. So I guess some attorneys had gotten into her ear. Hey, you know, we can sue. We can make a little money. This comes out, she puts an intent to sue letter out to the police agency. So my father calls me. I mean, he's, he's having a fit. He goes, hey, uh, my father thinks he's like in the mafia, right? Because he grew up in Brooklyn and Staten Island. He's got a lot of, he knows people, right? He grew up around the, in the 70s, right? You know, so he, he knows some people. And, and this is not me trying to sound fancy. It's, this, is, this is legitimately my father. My father uh, knows people. He, he, he was from there. And so sometimes I think he thinks he's a mafia. He's like in the mafia. So he goes, hey, uh, you know, I see this girl's trying, this is my father talks. I see this girl's trying to sue the police department. You don't have her address, do you? And I said, well, what do you want that for? He goes, well, I'm going to go down there and have a talk with her. He was serious. I said, I can't, I can't get you the address. He goes, oh, you pull the report up. Just say nothing. You're just reading it. Give me the address. And I'll go down there. I'm going to talk to her. I go, what are you going to do? He goes, well, I'm going to go see if I can make some sense to her. And if not, I'm going to egg her fucking house. <laughs> and he was dead serious, bro. He was not kidding. My father's going to egg her house. She only, they only live like 10 blocks from where I was from. So, um, yeah, it was a good job. Uh, super proud of that incident. Um, and then fortunately enough, they were able to promote him right away and well-deserved. And, you know, was a good guy uh, then. And you but, know, But his confidence to take that shot in a crowded mall under stress, his confidence is there because of his training. That's, that's, that's part of it. For the people that don't train, that qualify twice a year, they might not even take the shot. They may not even have the confidence in themselves, which could be mission failure at some point. So- we need to train. We need to be out there. And your, your agency is not going to send you. They're not going to send you. No. You're going to make the decision yourself. You're going to send yourself to proactive patrol you and case to. law and this and that and the other thing. Guys, I, man, I can't emphasize it enough. I often say, and this may sound crude, but I say it with purpose. If we could take back the men and women who uh, were in, unfortunately, circumstances that took their life and we sat them down, we had an opportunity to sit at the table, like, what would you tell everybody else? Because most of it is, 
I wish I would have done this. This is your life and other people's lives that are on the line. So we say these things to you. We really mean them. Did you know I was a farms instructor? No, I didn't know. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I was a farms instructor. So I, you want to talk about a quick way to become uh, not liked very fast? Six months out of the academy in farms instructor school for my third agency. Wow. Yeah, so the guy that I rode with was uh, basically the, the range master, quote unquote. He was my field training officer. And he liked me, dude, and I could shoot really well. And, um, you know, he uh, he's like, hey, I want you to be a farms instructor. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. You know, I already went and talked. To him. I'm like, you know, I don't even have a year on a job here on the road. He's like, nah, you don't need it. But you got the other, you know, you worked at two other agencies. I said, all right. Oh, man, they fucking were livid. I mean, I became like this. Bro, I had a lieutenant who took me. He's like, look, come on, we have to take a ride. He's like. Watch this other guy. He's talking shit about you. I'm like, bro, I'm here six months. I don't even know who you're talking about. He's like, that captain up there, this lieutenant over there. This guy's your friend. This guy's not. Then I get the other captain. You shouldn't be a fucking fire instructor. Da, 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 da. I'm like, what the fuck is going on, bro? So then at some point, uh, you know, here I am, this rookie. I get these old fucking geezers coming on the range, these old detectives. They're not going to listen to you. I think they were afraid of everybody else, but I also didn't like. I would just try to say like, hey, I see you're off to the right a little bit. Let me help you with that. So it was never like, hey, motherfucker. Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, hey, man, I'm watching you while you're doing it. This is just friendly to me to you. Just try to breathe. Just keep your breathing down and shoot on the exhale, right? You got some time here. We got to get you qualified. Shoot on the exhale. Detective Dave was the worst day in the world. I don't know if you agree if you had the same thing. We don't, we don't, we're such a small agency. We don't have that. Detective Dave was the worst day in the world, dude. That was like when I would call my parents and say, I love you. I may not see you again. Like what's going to happen? I go. I got to. I got to qualify detectives today. These guys were literally the worst of the worst. Not all of them. We yeah, had some real sure. Dave Davis. I'll give him credit. Hopefully, he hears it one day. I know they Dave. Call, yeah, they call him the agent. Dave. Dave's a lot of fun. Come to the range, sixty-five guns to shoot, right? But then, like, there were these other guys who were like these, these, these uh, special characters. When I first got on the SWAT team, Dave was still on the SWAT. Team. Yeah, yeah. Dave's the man. First range they ever went to, I was shooting next to him. We were shooting rifles, and he goes, "Hey, new guy." He goes, can you see my target? I go, I can see it. He goes, how many holes are in it? Uh, you're good. You're good. Okay. He, yeah, he's, he was, he he's was, good, he right? Funny, uh, the, the agent. You know, we called him the agent, right? I didn't know that. Yeah, dude. We had a um, – I, I enjoyed working with him so much. He was blessed. Um, and I'm sure he'll hear this. And I, I, I couldn't mean it. I just had so many good jobs. He's on my side the whole – we had four on, four off. So he was always my major crimes detective, and I was always involved in shit. But he was a hard charger, bro. Yeah, he no. was no spring chicken. He was out there still running and gunning 60 years old, dude. Wow. Like a fucking madman. Uh, we have a lot of jobs together. But one, I got into a pursuit. And his, uh, I think his brother was a lieutenant in Oldbridge. Yep, he just retired. So I was in a pursuit. What happened was uh, Monmouth County, this guy burglarized three jewelry stores with a stolen truck or a stolen van. And um, so we're actually, Grogan is an instructor of this company. But I was I was actually, I don't know if he was still in field training with me like his last couple of weeks or he had already became my partner. But he was new. I mean, Sean was literally on the road 12 weeks and um, the tones came out at like two o'clock in the morning. We're, we're checking out the car and I go, get the fucking back in the car. He's like, why? Because like all units we had last seen coming Route 35 southbound uh, or northbound. So anyway, we get in this pursuit. So Dave says, uh, his brother called because Oldbridge, they had lost this guy. They couldn't keep up with him. This guy was fuck good driver. But, you know, he wasn't going to win. So Dave, uh, Dave's brother calls and goes, hey, I heard you guys picked up that car. He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, we got one guy in it. He goes, well, what's going to happen? He goes, don't worry. He's going to catch him. He don't lose. And, dude, I came back and Dave's like, you know what? I'm glad you make me look stupid. I go, nah, I'm not here to lose these things. You know what I mean? Dave's had that kind of confidence in me. He's like, nah, don't worry. 
this is the guy. He's, if anybody's chasing him, this is going to be it. This is it. He's not getting away. He was, he was fun. Look at it. As soon as we talk about Dave Davis yep. today. Yeah, he lost. He, he came off the team, you know, shortly after I got on. Yeah, yeah. We probably had other obligations. When did you retire? Recently, dude. He oh, had like really? 39 years in a job. Yeah, yeah. And he wasn't, dude, he, he just, he loved the job. He fucking loved it. He was very good at it. He was very well respected. Um, and dude, as, as an older guy, I mean, he would, he was with you, right? He was in it and he wasn't sitting back. I mean, he was in it just as much as anybody else. Matter of fact, I'd rather have him at 60 than probably yeah. 25% of my agency at 25. No bullshit. Absolutely. Anyway, talk about the courses that you're doing now. Tell me about some of those things and how, what kind of impact are they having? What kind of results are you seeing? So, so far, so good. So the, the tactical handgun courses, we did the first one in April, uh, went off great, some real great reviews from it. And it was real nice to see some um, firearms instructors actually took the course. That's great. Which was great. Some guys from the state police. Uh, so we were able to get some real good feedback from it and all positive feedback. Obviously, um, there's no ego in this. So when I teach a course, I want to know what you didn't like. I want to know what you liked, what you didn't like. Because if it's something that's coming from somebody that it's credible like these guys, hey, hey man, we'll look into it. We'll, we'll figure out what it is. The courses are fundamental based. I'm, I'm big on fundamentals. If you can do it, if you can do the fundamentals perfectly, that's it. You've mastered it. That's the advanced course is fundamentals. That's something as simple as the proper way to grip the gun, the proper way to stand. Biggest thing is trigger control is what I see for cops that we have the biggest issue with is not being able to control the trigger properly. They just get on it. They mash it. And that's when they you mash the triggers. Yep. Sim- it's very simple. Um, Why are they mashing triggers? I anticipating the shot. You well, think? I want to say that I, I really, I really think, and this is not just my opinion. It's many instructors I've talked to. I really feel that, that the courses in the Academy, they've, they've slowly started to progress, but that's because of the younger instructors coming in that are training other places. I, I didn't just create this stuff. I've been training for years with some of the best in the world. You know, I'm taking, I'm, I take five courses a year on myself that I pay for out of my own pocket. I take my own vacation days. I hope my wife doesn't hear how much I spend, you know, a year on well, that Well, don't say the number. Yeah, don't <laughs> say the number. But my point is, like, I do that to be, to be who I, who I am. Not just because I started a business last year, because I'm, I'm accountable. I'm on the SWAT team. I, well, I was on the SWAT team. Um, but I carry a gun to protect other people. So I take these courses, whether it's through tactical people, former military, competition type shooters, all that. I think the police academy curriculum should should start to be changed a little bit. Um, why do people mash the trigger? I don't know. Um, I spend an hour with people and they seem to get a different grasp on the way that they control their triggers. I, I think it maybe is it my delivery? Uh, I don't know. It's not something that uh, is, is that complicated to just get on your trigger very slow Prep it to the wall, confirm the sights, and slowly press the trigger to the rear. It's not a hard concept to understand. But some people, I don't know if it's nervousness. I honestly believe it's just lack of training and confidence. To where you take your gun out. Uh, I, we qualified our guys the other day. Same thing. Guys are on the trigger, and they're just they're mashing it. It's just it's, it's lack of lack of training. Yeah, most- it's like anything, man. If it, play golf. Pick up a golf club and swing it now, and then six months later, pick up a golf club and swing it and, and watch what happens. Or baseball, whatever, same thing. 
it's it's perishable. If you don't practice it, if you don't do it, like you talk about jujitsu, things like that. If you take one jujitsu class today, great. You might learn one thing to help you survive for 10 seconds against somebody. That's You have to continuously train that stuff. Right. Firearms is the same thing. Bro, I'm going to tell you this right now. Like case law is the same thing. Hey, absolutely. If you're not reading case law, oh my God. Like I'll have to read some flying to Kansas tomorrow as of today. Uh, and I'm going to, I have to. The program is pretty much written. I just to bring it up to now the dynamic of how it looks because it's constantly evolving. My program always changes because if I can find a way to make it better, I make it better. But I will get fresh tomorrow on the plane ride there. Um, and you've got to read it nonstop. And if something's out of my wheelhouse, I know that Zach Miller, our farms, I'm sorry, our farm instructor, our, our case law instructor, he is reading case law six, seven hours a day. He's going to be the guy that if there's something so obscure a question i've never heard of that i'm just going to redirect you to that guy because he's the guy that knows it because he's in it nonstop. um you know one thing as a as a farms instructor i believe what i saw the most and maybe we're just kind of hopefully this isn't too boring but was people anticipating the shot that's that, that to me is the number one issue as a farm instructor for basic firearm shooting people just worry about that gun going off and flying out of their hands see What's a correction to that? How do you? Well, I'll be honest with you. I actually don't. I, I know what you're saying, and I was taught that same thing. That's why everybody's missing because they're anticipating it. I actually think it's completely different. The more I've studied this, the more I've taken these courses, the more I've been coached by other people. It's actually not, in my opinion, it's not people anticipating it. It is a confidence. Number one. <clears throat> number two. It's it's the fact of they don't understand exactly what they're doing. When, when people say anticipation, for instance, there's a, there's a a drill that you put out there where you put a dummy round or a piece of brass in a magazine, five or six rounds in. I do this all the time when people say stuff about anticipating and then I'll, I'll load the magazine on top of it. I have no idea where it is. Mm -hmm. It's mixed into a 17 round magazine and I just start ripping rounds. When that one hits, the gun goes like this and everyone goes, Oh, you anticipated it. I go, did I? Or was I just so hard gripping that gun, managing recoil, that that happened? To me, it's not always anticipating. Mm -hmm. Is that something? Yes. But to me, when someone anticipates a shot, you actually really, really see it. It's it's dramatic. Mm -hmm. That little bit of of this, we're humans. That's just a that's just our normal way. If you watch my hands come out, my hands have that have that little shake. Everybody does. And that happens to anybody as you're slowly, slowly on your trigger. That's a human reaction. That's not something that I think is full anticipation. My opinion is that's just something that's drilled into your head as an instructor. When I went to firearms instructor school, I learned nothing. I, I can honestly sit here and tell you I did not learn one thing about how to teach firearms. Mm-hmm. When that course went on, I went, I attended uh, at one of the police academies and I was there with some people that I knew. When the week was over, myself and one of the other guys that I'm friends with from Marlboro PD, we tied for top shot and we laughed and we made a joke and we said, uh, see you in rifle instructor. We'll, we'll, we'll settle the score. We'll settle the score. Yeah, yeah. We tied there as well too. go figure. But we laughed and said, Hey, what'd you, what'd you learn here? He goes, I didn't learn anything. They didn't show you anything. That you sounds just, like a police academy, right? Well, that's what it was. Yeah. It was the police academy. I say it's another <clears> basic course, almost everything, right? You know, how about this? Hey, Rich, you stand behind Dennis. Dennis, you shoot and purposely do something wrong and see if he can figure out what you did wrong. 
That's not normal. You, if you're pretending to do something that you're not going to react the same way as a person that actually makes the mistake. There's things that they, that they teach so much about too little finger on the trigger, too much finger on the trigger. Yeah, that could be a thing. I know a guy that shoots like this and he's, he's as accurate as anybody I've ever seen. It's all about pressing the trigger straight back to the rear. Right. So when you ask me about anticipating, I truly don't believe it's always anticipating. I actually think it's just the it, the the person, the operator, the per, the shooter, is physically and mentally not able to straight press the trigger to the rear. Because when I press the trigger to the rear, what do I want? To not disrupt the sights that are on the target. If the trigger presses straight to the rear without disrupting the sights from the target, the bullet goes exactly where you want it to go. Right. Do people anticipate? Sure. But when I see it, it's a massive dip. It's it's they'll shoot the bottom of the target. They don't miss an inch low. When I see it's, it's 99% trigger control. When I teach, when I'm with, I have a teaching a police officer tomorrow privately. We're going to focus for two hours on trigger control because mm. I guarantee that's why they, they miss at 25 yards. It's all about trigger. Yeah. It's not always about sights because everybody understands what the sights are supposed to look like. It's the trigger because I'll tell you, Hey, put the sights on target. They're there and I'll get on and I'll actually. With your finger on the trigger, I'll press the trigger back and let the gun go off, and the bullet will hit exactly where they're aiming. Well, it's not the sights; it's their right, trigger, it's the trigger control. Right. It, that's a, that's an old way to to figure that stuff out. So I don't necessarily buy into the anticipation all the time. Okay. To me, it's more of what I just said. It's trigger control. It's understanding things like that. That's that's how I see it. Do you think that there is an agreement across the board amongst firearms guys? Going to preamble this. Uh, by saying, to me, firearms guys and canine guys kind of have similarities. Where if you talk to one canine guy, he has his theories on how dogs work. And you talk to another canine guy, he's got his theories. And these motherfuckers think that they are, and this has nothing to do with firearms guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I'm saying this is the strife amongst canine handlers. If you bring 20 canine handlers into a room, none of them will agree. Hey, ah, the dog does this, the dog does that. Keep the windows up, roll the windows down. Da, 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 this one's out. That's an alert, that's not an alert. It's just it's insanity, and these guys get so consumed with the the canine stuff that they just have no bend or play into. Head up the conference. Scott Kibbett mm. uh, spoke at our conference, and on the break he said something about the dog. On the break, five guys come up to me. You know, you guys shouldn't be talking about because that's not the right way to do it. Then next guy goes, he's half right. The next guy goes, he's right to do it the same way. I go, what's going yeah, on yeah. here? So I tell Scott, I go. They said you shouldn't do that. He goes, no, that's not fucking true. You have to do it that way. I know fucking dogs. I'm like, this is what I'm saying, this yeah. crazy shit. So we say these things about trigger control and what we're talking about here. You know, would you see everybody who is in their, in firearms training is in agreement with that? How uh, many different opinions do you see when it comes to fine. shooting? So I never, I never realized how opinionated this industry, firearms, is. Oh, it's fucking nuts. Until I started a <clears throat> Instagram last year. For my business, and now being uh, linked to, uh, on the street cop team, having videos out there. And listen, I don't read the comments. I might read the first ten of them and just laugh. It's ten different opinions, right. or it's this guy's an asshole. Look at his camo pants, or this or that. Like that's I, great. I, I just laugh. It is what it is. But yeah, yeah. I would say the, it is a very opinionated thing. However, if it's a if it's a police officer who is just a firearms instructor, who just qualifies his guys. I'm not saying that there's not good ones out there, but the the norm, the red shirt, 
one. Yeah, I had a red shirt. Fire. I don't own a red shirt. I, I don't. I had to wear. I don't own. I know I have a red shirt. I had a red jacket too. Just I so you're aware. I don't own anything that says firearms instructor. I don't need to. Mine wear said it. firearms unit. Oh, that's yeah, a yeah. good one. I think I still might still have it. Do you still have it? I don't. Know. I don't know, dude. I got. You have look. to get it and put a street cop patch on it. Oh, I should. That's a good idea. Yeah. Oh, that'd be bad. Right over the old apartment patch. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, and I don't want to. I'm not. I'm not shitting on every firearms instructor out there. There's so many good ones out there, but there's some that don't further their education. They go, they go to firearms instructor. They shoot a 60 on a piece of paper with no timer, no nothing. The targets don't move and they're firearms instructors. They come back, they requalify their guys. They do nothing to better themselves. Those, those instructors, I don't really listen to their opinion that much. The ones that are out there training, seeking training on their own from Qualified people, the best in the world, JJ Vercaza and this one and this one. I 100% listen to them. But those people, our opinions are all pretty much the same. There are some firearms instructors that like to pick apart all oh, the way that that person is standing or the way that this person is doing this. Well, I would just say is, what does the target look like? That's right. How, how's the target look, right? I, I taught my wife how to shoot. Are you Excuse fucking me. nuts, dude? Why would you teach your wife how to I shoot? I know, right? Teach my wife how to shoot. We're at, we're at an indoor range. And this firearms instructor guy, whoever he is, walks over and he goes, hey, man, her feet are, her feet are fucked up. And I go, all right, thanks. And I don't say nothing. He's standing there waiting for me to tell her to fix her feet. Do you know you were on the job? No, I didn't. No, okay. no. This was a public range. She's a right-handed shooter. So she's standing, you know, fundamentally, she's supposed to be left foot forward, right? She's right foot forward. The guy's trying to get me to switch her feet. And I'm, I'm like, hey, man, we're good. We're good. That's where she's comfortable. She's shooting a Glock 23, 40 caliber. She's five foot, 100 pounds at 25 yards. And she has a grouping in the target that you would kill for as a cop. Right. I bring the target in. I look at it and I go, I go, look, man, does it really matter where her feet are? He wanted to argue with me that no matter what her target looked like, her feet were still fucked up. Rigid. Like that's a, that's the kind of thing is we need to evolve over, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in when you holster your gun, hey, look down. Look at your holster before you holster right. it. Right. Make sure there's not an obstruction there. I've actually seen somebody holster a gun and a zipper of a jacket caught the trigger and the guy put the gun in the holster and the gun went off. Wow. Bullet went right through the holster. Wow. One time out of, out of the millions of times I've been on the range, but it's a real thing. Yeah. Hey, make sure there's no obstruction. Oh, and here come the trolls. Oh, but you can't take your eyes off the target. Target you can't should take be your down, eyes right? Off the target. Well, listen. First off, if I'm holstering my gun, I'm saying threats that it's over. safe to threats over what, even if it wasn't, even if there was a person standing 15 yards away from me, why would I put my gun in my holster? Right. Obviously. Right. So if I'm putting it away and if that split second, I just look at my holster, what is that person going to levitate and disappear? He's going to be standing in the same exact place he was when I looked down for a split second. Mm -hmm. Make sure the gun goes in the holster. That's important. You're putting it in there for a reason. Like that's something that has ne that doesn't evolve, but that's something I've watched happen. So in my safety brief is make sure when you holster your gun, you look it in. It's cool. Same, same yeah. thing when you load a magazine into the magazine well, look look at it go in. Watch it actually go in. Mm -hmm. Are you ever, here's a cool one. You ever like watch videos on shootings, like by warrant cameras and stuff like that? All the time. Yeah, and just, I mean, yeah, a little secret here. You're going to see some shit come out that we have. That's what we'll be basing our programs on is things that actually happened. Yeah. I, wa I watch. There's a couple of Instagram pages that they post as soon as they get them, they post them. So I have probably about two or 300 different ones saved and I watch them all the time. 
and I watch them and I say, how can I tie this into something that I do? And I have something in the course that we do that replicates one of the videos in particular of an officer walking up on the driver's side of the car. And as soon as he walks up, he gets engaged. Well, he pulls out his gun, he engages. And what does he do? He beats feet to the back of his car for cover. And then from there engages the car and wins the engagement, Mm -hmm. you know? So stuff like that, that I've used that I've watched things, things that to see how people, how the officers are, the way that they handle their guns, watch how many of them I've actually seen videos where, Guys are in the middle of a shootout and their magazine falls out of their gun. Why? I don't know. Is it their grip? Did they change something? Who knows? Like things like that happen. So it's something to say that you never know what's going to happen. So why do we train emergency reloads? Because that might happen. Mm -hmm. Listen, I've uh, last year I fell on the range and of course I was taking was a rifle course. As I turned to run, the ground was wet. I slip, fall, I roll over. I have it on video. It's great. It's on my Instagram. And and my rifle is downrange. Nobody gets flagged. But the one thing you don't see on the video is I rolled over so hard on my handgun that the magazine popped out of the handgun. It was laying on the floor next to it. And someone goes, hey, you dropped a mag. And I said, I didn't have any any pistol mags on me. It was the one that was inside the gun. Mm. I've never seen that happen before, but mm-hmm. it happened to me. Wow. So it's like things, crazy shit happens. When you're in a fucking yeah, fight man, for your life. Crazy shit happens. Yeah. Interesting stuff, dude. Uh, we need those videos because we'll do great shit with them. So I think what we should be doing is taking these videos and having you dictate what's going on in these videos and maybe showing the drills of how you circumvent and fix this or try to prepare or prevent this from happening in the future. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, we're going to do that. So I actually wrote, Rich, we need them. I wrote that here on my videos, Rich, we need them. That's my thing. So don't forget about that because, of course, I have a thousand things going on every single day. But that's a big one. And this will actually help a lot of people get better and understanding what possibly could go wrong. I always tell people in class, and I, I will say it here on the podcast, if you want to do yourself a favor, go watch two and a half, four hours of officer-involved shootings or deadly situations where the police officer lost their life. Not because it's going to make you feel good inside. Not because I'm trying to make you feel horrific or scare you. It's because I want you to see what they did wrong. And not that all of them did it wrong, but there is always something to be learned at what the fuck happened here. Why did this happen this way? And if we're not Monday morning quarterbacking some of those things, well, then we're not preventing a loss of life. So I have to say it that way to get people to really understand what I mean by that. Nobody in this world, I I mean, my heart breaks every single time I have to hear about a police-involved death uh, where a police officer lost their life in the line of duty. Now, why I'm saying this, because if I can keep a name or two off off that wall in Washington, D.C., where your family doesn't go there and etch it out, well, that's a win for us. So I'll say the uncomfortable shit that I have to say. So maybe, just maybe, you'll listen, go watch these fucking videos and say, what did this person do wrong? What did this girl do wrong? What did this guy do wrong? What happened here? Where did they fail? And unfortunately, there are times where there was not much you could do. But in all reality, and I'm not saying I'm perfect, I'm not proclaiming to be one bit, there are a lot of lessons learned on every single time of these one of these scenarios. I mean, they play certain things, um, and I hate to even bring up names, every academy to three academies. play the same fucking videos in the academies. I'll give you one. Play Trooper Coates video. Mm -hmm. I I went to three police academies as a recruit. Every academy I went to, we watched Trooper Coates. And the other poor kid, uh, who I just talked to somebody from Georgia who knows him, Scott Usry, who's going to be coming on board with us. You know, uh, that, that video with the kid who gets out of the car and the guy's reaching in the car yeah. and he's screaming, sir, sir, sir. 
you know, everybody's seen that video. It's a, it's a devastating video. Some There's terrible, a lot of horrible videos out there. Yeah, I was told that he that 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 agency had some real big uh, oversight after that, and they they were in a lot of trouble for they threatened him if you had gotten another use of force complaint that he was going to get fired. Yeah. So he was terrified, didn't want to lose his job, and they set him up to be killed. And that's what happens when you have poor leadership in place. It's amazing how much ties back to poor leadership, right? Everything. It's it's wild. But but it's also you got you got. You have to do it for yourself. Yeah, you got to listen. You got to take some initiative. You, you can't you, sit around. And, you can't. I was pick yourself. Nobody picked me to start a training company. You don't. Need, I went to. I went to methods of instruction on my own. I went to farms instructor school, by the way, which is the only school they ever paid for me for in my whole career. It's the only school I ever got paid to go to, and that was because somebody else wanted me to go to it. There was no nepotism there, outside the sense of I said, you know, why'd you pick me to go be a farm instructor? He goes, because you're a fucking good dude. You're a good shot, and I like you. He goes, and we need another good dude down here. I can trust you. I know, I know I can fucking trust you. So they knew that. So they wanted me. They knew it was a good fit. Just like in here. Sometimes we hire people. I'm like, this person's perfect for this fucking agency, for this company here. But I say again, to reiterate, go watch the videos. Do yourself a favor. I heard a thing one time where uh, we had a guy speak to us. This is probably 17, 18 years ago. And he said, he'd been in a few shootings. And he said, I think somebody in the class asked him the question, you know, you'd won three shootouts. What was uh, what was the one thing that you remember from all three of them? He goes, if any piece of advice, I give you just one piece of advice. He goes, if you aim, you'll probably win. You ever hear that before? So, <clears throat> one of the the best training points I've ever I've ever heard, and it, and it's very simple. It came from from a bunch of former uh, Delta Force guys, Green Berets. Uh, Making noise has never ended a single gunfight. This is not my quote. This is a quote from these guys from Northern Red. Everyone knows who they are. Making noise has never ended a single gunfight. The only thing that ends it is well-aimed shots in the kill zone of a man. Put the sights where they need to be. It'll end it faster every single time. And these are guys that have a world of experience overseas. They said their first engagement, it was like, yeah, let's see how as fast as we can shoot at these dudes. And they hit nobody. The minute they slowed down, they put their sights where it needed to be. It's, it's a training winning. thing. That's when they started winning immediately. Wow, that's great. Immediately. And that's coming from those guys. That's not that's not my quote. Don't anybody think that I'm I'm stealing their quote. That's from them. Those guys, you know, hey now, man, Zach Harrison and and Charlie Ross, those guys started Hades Consulting. Like those guys, they have the real world experience. Those are the type of people that I'm training with and learning from for the past eight years. Military coming in, teaching law enforcement now, especially <clears throat> for firearms and, and things like this. It's been a- amazing for us. For us to take this and, and put this out to the rest of the law enforcement community is is really good stuff. Things like that. That's not something you would ever hear in the past. Let me ask you this. What's the best training course you've ever taken? You have a one favorite? You want to do a favorite and then maybe a second favorite? But I'm not giving you more than two, Rich. So... It's hard. It's hard because they're they're all different. Um, they're all similar, but they're all different, right? So one of the best guys I've ever trained with is Tony Cowden from North Carolina. He's a former Green Beret, yeah. CIA contractor. He's actually running for Congress right now down in North Carolina. That's great. Anybody in North Carolina, uh, vote for Tony Cowden. Definitely, the guy is the guy's amazing. We brought him up here last year. He did a private course for the for the SWAT team: one day pistol, one day rifle fundamentals nothing that nobody really didn't know already but hearing it from his perspective hearing it from his experience 
it actually changes the way you think about things. He talked, he, he gave us a story, whether I talked about the first time he ever was in, engaged somebody was in a, a gunfight. He was attacked by a person in a car. He goes, that's not the way I scripted the first gunfight that ever was going to be overseas. He was fighting the guy with his right hand who was in the passenger seat. He drew his concealed carry from his appendix with his left hand upside down and shot the guy with his pinky from wow. away to save his life in a moving car. Wow. Like here. How do you end up in that situation? I, I don't really want to get into yeah, too gotcha. much of, uh, of what he was doing over there, but something like that, learning from a guy like that. I've taken courses with, um, Northern Red. I've taken courses with Achilles Heel Tactical out of, out of Ohio. Those guys are amazing. They all have a different way. He, uh, the guys from Hades Consulting, Charlie and Zach. When you spend time with those guys, they teach you how to shoot. They teach you about CQB, all these things, but learning from them, from their experience. The things that they, their life experience overseas, how it, how it was, how it was in real life, right? Because here we think about this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to be. And they go, no, it's not. It's going to be like this. Hear it from them. And then they actually put it, you know, give you a course on it. The best thing we've ever done was with those guys was go force on force with some munitions, right? First time I ever went to that class with the SWAT team, I went with five other guys. We walk, we showed up at eight o'clock in the morning. They go, everybody gear up. You're hitting that building cold. There's five armed adversaries in there with some munitions. Sick. Like, this is awesome. Go in there. You think you're a bunch of badasses. You go in there. They don't say a word to you. They just watch. When it's over, they introduce themselves and then they give you a five day course. And then you realize how screwed up you were on day one. Wow. Things like that. The only way to learn is to do it under stress. Right. Right. So even shooting pistols, fundamentals, all that stuff. You want to do all that? You're great. You're a great firearms instructor. Yeah, do it under simunitions in a building when people are shooting back at you. Mm. Watch how just get we we do it. Well, did it with the SWAT team all the time. Training municipal departments, active shooter response. Give them a simunition gun. Send them into a room to shoot a paper target at five feet away, and they miss because they're moving. Their stress levels high. Their heart rate's high. Just things like that. Mm-hmm. So. My favorite two courses, uh, I'm going to definitely say one was with, with Tony Cowden, no doubt. The others, I'm just going to give it to Hades and Northern Reddit as, as a tie because those guys are just being around them. It, it's actually life-changing That's for, great, for, dude. The, for this career, man, for, for that stuff. How often do you think somebody should be shooting? Real world, I mean, honestly, you should be shooting weekly. Obviously, it's probably not realistic for some people. Um, prior to me starting a business, I was shooting three times a month. Okay. Three times a month. And whether that was on my own with others, uh, not in training, that was just on my own time. Now, from there, there, we would have two SWAT days or this or that. But I always put three days in a month on my own, always. So that's that's the minimum for me that I needed to stay sharp with things. Yeah. Hopefully, it's not the last time we talk about this stuff. I think there's a lot of no, things we talk so about. No, mu- there's yeah. so much. Should someone draw their firearm daily? So Jeff Smith, who's a instructor here, talks about unloading your magazines every night, reloading when you're getting ready, out of the holster, practicing that stuff in the mirror before you go to work. So I do it every day, whether it's for one minute, two minutes, five minutes, or 10 minutes. I do some type of dry manipulations every day. It could be just drawn from the holster from concealment. It could be every day before I I actually punch in for my shift when I get dressed. I do 10 cold draws um, from my holster in the locker room into a mirror. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yes, gun safe, unloaded, all that stuff, just to go through the reps. 
just to have a baseline as when I walk up the stairs to go out on the road, that's my baseline. But I do it every single day of my life. Sometimes it's for one or two minutes. It could be drawn. It could be pressing the trigger. It could be sight, uh, sight alignment. It could be whatever it is you want to do, but have a purpose. Don't just take the gun out, unload it, and just start pulling the trigger for no reason. Have a purpose of what you're doing. Have a, have a training point that you're working on. It could be reloads. It could be anything. Yeah. Yes, I do believe that that's something you should do every single day. The last thing I have for you is tell everybody about the courses that you have, uh, your ability to be hosted for these training courses, and what you could expect coming out of those training courses as far as practical application of the principles that they'll endure. So if you if you come to my course, you're going to get a different experience, right? One of the first things I tell you is this is not your typical range day. Most cops that I speak to, they typically don't like their range days. It's an eight-hour day. They show up. They get eight rounds to practice. They shoot their 60. Then they shoot their 40 for night. They might get 20 more rounds to shoot, and then it's hang out for the rest of the day because they're on the clock for eight hours and they don't do, they don't do shit. More importantly, that's not what you get from me. When you, when you get there, you have a resource, right? I have real world experience with SWAT as an instructor with all this other stuff. So you get gear, you get gear questions from me, right? You'll see one of the things that I do. I don't want to give away too many of the, of the, of the fun drills. But one of them has to do with, yeah, you're going to run up and down the range a little bit. Part of that is just to see, is your gear working for you or against you? Hmm. Some people, it looks like a yard sale behind them. As they're running up and down the range, there's magazines on the floor, handcuffs, keys, cell phones, all this stuff. So that's cool. You get them set up tactically. Yeah, 100% too. It's, we, we, give, we give tips too. Like, hey, your, your outer vest, that pouch that you have over there, it's in the way of you drawing straight and clear from your holster. I'm not saying, hey, it might be department policy. Like we find that a lot too is I'm not allowed to change anything. This has to be here. This has to be here. Wow. So the closed top magazine pouches with the outer vest, they're very difficult to open. How about this one? I'm jump in here real quick. How about this? You like this one? And I can't say what agency this is. Um, there's an agency. I'll make it very vague. That's not allowed to wear tourniquets on their uniforms. Yeah. Because the way you know what agency that is, yeah, right? Yeah. Don't say it. No, I won't. They can't wear tourniquets. And I tell those guys, I go, yeah, let me know when that happens. When you need a tourniquet, but you weren't allowed to put it on your uniform, yeah. and um, because they don't like the way it looked. Yeah. Well, and let me know where that lawsuit comes from. Make sure you're documenting when you were told that you could not. Make sure there's an SOP and some letters that come out. Because boy, oh boy, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be a good one. Yeah. That'd be a fun day for that agency to pay out on that one. And anybody from that agency that's listening, get them and wear them anyway. You can wear them on your ankle. They they sell things that you can wear these little IFAC kits on your ankle. Wear them on your ankle under your pants. Have a tourniquet on you. 100%. Yeah, you have to have 100%. one, dude. We had a guy um, who was recently on the podcast. He was shot, and he had two tourniquets, and he needed them. Sure. So he carried two, and he actually had two tourniquets on him. He actually needed two. See, I carry three at work. I have I have one on my vest, and I have uh, cargo pockets, one in each cargo pocket. Why do I carry three? I don't know. Because it's I have, a, have a mass mass shooting. Yeah, right? have, That's not, we're not comment to that. It's better than not having any. It's better than having one. Right. Same with with you know the, everyone has Narcan. I keep extra Narcan in my pocket. Well, it's not for I use the Narcan for the for the victims, but I keep some for us too. What yeah. if, what if our guys get exposed? What if I get exposed? What if my partner gets exposed? You know, always have extra of the of the stuff that you're really going to need when the time comes. Yeah, I'm a big preparer, brother. Yeah, yeah I mean, man, but you, you, have to. you got the instruct. Well, you actually don't do too much classroom instruction, but if you were a classroom instructor, you will see my list of things that you need. Like tomorrow, I've got to go. I'm traveling to Kansas City. 
I take two projectors, three speakers, yeah. two of everything. Guarantee one of them is going to break at some point. I do the I, same thing on the range, though. I bring back the gun that I use. I have a backup. The rifle I use, I have a backup. You know, magazines, I have 50 of them. There's no ear, ear protection. Two, three pairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you just never know what's going to break. Sure, dude. For sure. Yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but back to your what, course. What was the, what was the, where, where was I at there? Oh, the, the course. Their gear. So, so uh, <clears throat> I had mentioned about, yeah, we'll help you with your gear too, right? Like we'll tell you this is working for you, working against you. Here's why. The biggest thing that we do is we we give you instruction, but we also give you the why behind it. If I tell you grip the gun this way, I don't just say grip the gun this way. I tell you why I'm telling you to grip the gun this way. That's the biggest thing with for me in firearms instruction is the why. If I'm telling you to do something, first thing I'm going to actually, I'm going to demonstrate it for you. I'll never ask somebody to do something that I can't do myself. So I demonstrate it, show it, I explain the why. That's one of the biggest things. The other thing that I get the most um, positive criti- uh, critiques about is we don't just stand behind the shooter and do the normal, you missed, you missed, you missed left, you missed right, you missed left. We'll actually diagnose what you're doing. I don't even really pay attention to your target. We run like a 63-round diagnostic in the beginning. Yeah. That diagnostic is just to show what the the majority of people are doing, the way that they stand, their posture, their grips, their trigger control, things like that. And we run it um, very systematically in how we do it to where each person gets one-on-one attention to see. We don't even pay attention to the target. The target's almost irrelevant at that point. And we just gauge everybody what they're doing wrong. And then I know where to start to to tailor the course to, right? Hey, I need to focus a ton on stance, grip, and posture or or this or that, whatever it is. But you don't get the normal, you're going to get fired today. We're going to take your gun. Like that's the critique I oh, get the yeah. most is like the instructors are just in people's ears, just talking shit to them the whole time and not helping them, amping them up, stressing them out, which makes it 10 times harder just to qualify. I know. Dude, There's I'm part watching. of that course where we 100% are going to stress you out for a reason, but there's a practical reason for it, not to break your balls. Right. So <clears throat> the biggest thing you're going to get from the course when you leave is, A, you're going to get a resource. You're going to get me as a resource, right? I give everybody my phone number, my email, no matter what it is. You need curriculum. You need this. You need this. Whatever it is, I'll help out. You need policy set up. I'll help you write them when it comes to firearms, whatever it is. You got me as a resource, number one. Number two, a lot of people leave with confidence that they didn't have when they showed up there that day. Things that we can put in their head and tell them, like, be prepared for this. This could happen. This could happen. And we show it. So, and the drills that we run are fundamental base drills. We're not pretending to be Navy SEALs out there and running around and just running and gunning. There's a purpose behind every single thing we do. From the first thing you do to the end. The end is a, is a competition between all the students in the class. And I tell everybody, if you pay attention from minute one to the end, the competition is based off of every single thing we did today. If you can master all of those basic fundamentals in the competition, you'll win. And they all leave with that positive, like, I see it now. You put, you put this whole thing together and it all came together in one thing at the end. And that's, that's kind of how we run it, but it's confidence builder. You get, you get, Obviously, the the resource from me and from the entire street cop company, things like that. So it's, I mean, there's been no negative comments on it yet. So no, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. People really are fucking nuts about this course. One thing I want to say is, people hated Range Day where I worked 
because of the lack of kindness mm-hmm. from the firearms instructors. And I would hear this because, you know, me, I mean, I'm a, I'm really, a, I mean, I speak with a lot of uh, passion and attention and things like, you know, and, 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 and kindness. And I, I, I try to be very, very candorous with people and try to explain things rather than sound like a dick. But I would hear this from everybody. These guys are such fucking dicks. We yeah. hate them under the range. They're such fucking dicks. Like, why do they make it feel like it's fucking Paris Island day yeah. one? Like, what the fuck? Like, they're all our coworkers. You know, they're just... And it's interesting. I would watch... There would be heavy supervisor days, and those guys that all of a sudden were like... Nicer. Oh, yeah. Chiefs day. Gobble, gobble, gobble on the fucking Chiefs wiener. You know what I mean? Like, what we're going to do... And I'm like, why aren't we just being consistent here? Mm. Right? You know what I mean? Like, why aren't we just being... Hey, we can communicate this stuff. It's important to know that there's safety issues we got to take in, into consideration and to be wise with it. But I think that's a big part of it. I think people were, I was actually probably had a bad taste in my mouth because of what I felt and I associated mentally with firearms training. Like I didn't want to be like laying in the fucking mud and being dragged across and like, we're shooting no matter what. It's yeah. fucking good training day. Like, dude, they wanted me to be on a SWAT team, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, I went to three police academies. I'm done being a fucking recruit. Like, I don't want to be a fucking recruit. Yeah. I'm just, that's just me. And I'm not knocking the SWAT team. Just like, I don't want to be in the swamp for yeah. nine hours. Because they're telling me like, yeah, no, we do swamp shots. You're in the, the swamp for like nine hours in, like, in, in August. And I'm like, that's awesome if you really like that stuff. But I don't want to be a sniper. Like, I don't, I don't like bugs. Right? Some people know me. No, I don't. Sure. I don't want to be laying in fucking with ticks crawling over. I, I'm going to move. I'm like, yeah, fucking I'm out. Give me, give me. I'm just one of those people, yeah, dude. Yeah. Right? But that was a big turnoff for me was like how militarized it felt. Well, I get that a lot in uh, teaching civilians. Prior to me meeting them, it's, you know, on paper, you're, you're this supposed to be this type A egomaniac, lunatic. And when we meet you, you're just a normal dude. I'm like, well, yeah, you're here to exercise your, your Second Amendment rights and you're going, spending hard-earned money on a safety course or whatever it is that I'm giving you that day. Of course, I'm, I'm not a dickhead to people, even to the cops. The cops, I'm, I'm 10 times nicer because they're the ones that have a problem. The civilians that I teach, I hate to say it, they shoot better than 90% of the cops that I teach because they spend time, they spend money where majority of the cops want their agencies to send them. I've had so many cops reach out to me and go, can't wait to take your course, can't wait to take your course. Have never seen them. You know why? Because they go, oh, the agency won't send me. Or or I'm working that day. Yeah, oh yeah, I get it. Take a vacation day. And I got a road job, sorry bro. All right, so there's the first class. You're doing a handgun course. I know you have a tactical rifle course, obviously. Yep, we have one scheduled for June 29th in South Plainfield, New Jersey. That's 2023. So no, 2022. We're in. Yes. Yeah, I keep forgetting what year we're in because I have the conference coming up next year, um, and we're just in Nashville going over some of the details there for next year, April 23rd to the 28th. You better check that shit out, streetcop.com. But we also have a class which is very unique, as a uh, all female class. Yeah, so female only uh, tactical handgun or rifle, however it'll uh, show up in the end. It's one of my favorite classes to do. The female-only courses uh, in the beginning, when, when we started to do them last year, slowly turned into my favorite because no, none of them have egos. Mm-hmm. Female officers show up. They just want to learn. That's great. They want to come and shoot. They want to have a fun day. They want to network with other female officers. They want to talk about female gear issues, something that I never, ever thought of was an issue about the way that they wear their vest and, and, and things that fit their bodies different. That's the stuff that they talk about. And they want to just come and have fun and not have the stress of 
instructors being like we were talking about before about not being kind to them or how about like disrespectful too right? well disrespectful one but also just being assholes to them for no reason you know the the one girl told me she goes the instructor stands in my ear and he goes you suck you suck you suck you're gonna you're gonna fail we're gonna take your gun you're gonna get fired who the hell wants to hear that while they're yeah. while they're shooting they already don't feel confident male or female by the way let me tell you some of the females that i've trained they are some badasses. Some of them that will kick the shit out of you in jujitsu. They'll kick the shit out of you on the range. So when people talk about male or female, well, guess what? I take some, some of each. A hundred percent. I'll yeah. take some of them over, over some dudes any day of the week. Yeah, bro, I know a lot, a lot yeah, of guys man. I work with couldn't fight the way to let people back. hundred, hundred percent. So the female only classes, they're literally my most, I enjoy doing those the most. There's no egos, right? Cause even the guys that come to the classes, They'll say that there's no egos, but you, you see it. The guys are competing against each other. They're the guy next to him, this, that, and you see, oh, well, you should do this. Guys on the line trying, not all the time, of course, but trying to coach other guys or trying to intimidate other dudes. It's, it's an ego thing. And that's, that's a male ego thing. And the girls don't have that. So the females come and they, they work their asses off, hardly take a lunch, train for eight hours and then want more. It's great. Yeah, it's 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 really great. It's class. Phenomenal. I dude. can't wait to get the next one on the books. Wait, it's, old it's Ben's got to get put through the fucking class. I told you, you want to do yeah. a private session. I just want to go. Come, I'll do the whole thing. Let do, me just do whatever. Do, you should do the regular class. I want to do the regular on the class. line with everybody else. I want to. All right. When's the next one we're doing? Uh, June twenty eighth is the next handgun course in South Plainfield. Oh, if it's hot, I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll have to get one uh, mid October for you. Maybe we'll get. Yeah. Well, I can't wait that long. I got it, dude. Honestly, uh, you know, I have a lot of rifles. So we've talked about that. Yep. I got to get uh, correct with those. Sure. So maybe I'll just do the private one. I'll yeah, just pull my fucking boss we'll, card. And, we'll do it. We'll do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll, right. you'll be good. But yeah, that's uh, that, that'll be fun, man. Having you on the line, we'll have to promote that one. That class will be an easy sellout right there. If you're oh, gonna, Lord. Uh, if you're going to be on the line shooting, everyone's going to want to come to that you one. You think so? Yeah, no doubt. No, I don't know. Bro, the, I've only done one street cop course so far. Every person that walked in, where's Dennis? Where's Dennis? We we know the office is only a half hour from here. How come he's not here? Where is he? Where is he? Like, no, dude. Sometimes I can't even get down the hall for the for class. We want to shoot. Door. How come he's not here? He should be out here shooting. Yeah, I know. I should. Well, you know what? Listen, I, I'm going to be. You guys, is that an indoor one or outdoor one? You got an indoor outdoor. one coming up? No, no indoor coming up. What do people need to be able to host a class? So the, the biggest thing is is a host range. That's the, that's the biggest issue that we're having to be able to do it often is host ranges. So if you have a range and you want to set up a course. Uh, hey, reach out, you know, Paul from Street Cop and support. We'll we'll set it up. Yeah, that's great. We got one set up for July in uh, Newcastle, Delaware. It's awesome. Yeah, it's good. It's good shit, dude. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of these coming out more and more and more, especially as people command more training from law enforcement. And we're, and we're, we're giving them. So this is important stuff. And Rich, it's been a pleasure today. It's always a pleasure to see you. And uh, I'm always thankful when somebody decides to come and join our team because maybe it spoke to you in some sense. And uh, hopefully that you're... I can try to and continue to try to provide value to you and everybody else in law enforcement to bring such talent to the forefront so you all can get better training to go home to your families, to have more bad guys going to jail, and to ensure that we are protecting the people of the United States and the world, to be quite honest with you, by training our protectors the way they're supposed to. So I can't thank you enough for being here today. Thanks for having me.